so we've got a couple things going on. Uh, one is the, uh, the big issues with abortion, which we, we kind of discussed last week, right? Uh, and what this all means. Uh, it's interesting. There's been a lot of Facebook discussion about uh, the impact of whether or not Roe v. Wade. Uh, what are you doing with that? I'm opening the soda. Jeez yeah. Louise. I mean, that is not professional at all. Nope. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a soda. It's a La Croix. Yeah. Seltzer water. I, it, it really, this is, this is the, the image you want to you wanna leave yeah, people with? Yeah, it says the man drinking a foamy almond milk latte. Yeah, the I one that you from. gave me. Right. God. So you accepted that as a gift? Yes, well, because I didn't want to insult you. I, you know, I wouldn't. But you brought that La Croix yes. bubble, you know, soda water, tangerine I mean, flavored. It's not even orange. It's tangerine. Oh yeah, All yeah. Right. I'm soft. I drink. I drink soft yeah. water. I don't know about your heterosexual bona fides here. I don't have heterosexual bona fides. I'm <laughs> fluid. <laughs> Jesus. I don't think they meant it that way when they said fluid. You know. <laughs> <sighs> I thought it all was all about either solids and fluids. You know, folks, we normally bathrooms. meet on Wednesday mornings to record these podcasts. And I can't say that I actually look forward to these podcasts because it means that I have to be with Ari for what is it, uh, half an hour? You know, the prep before and prep after. It's all in all, it's about an hour and a half. Um, but I do it for you, my dear listener. I, I have to stomach being with Ari David. So that I can deliver this podcast to you. I hope you appreciate this. Would you say that the word that comes to mind is endure? Yes. You endure, endure. Yes. this experience? I endure it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about abortion again? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Something light? And I airy? would believe in abortion if you were in my womb. <laughs> anyway. Adoption was an option. If I kill him, I'll just simply say, look, it's uh, it was my choice. Right. <laughs> but, sir, he wasn't in your womb. You don't have a womb. <laughs> don't, don't, don't you label me. You can't <laughs> have that. Exactly. Are you telling me I can't? The way the things ought to be. <laughs> you know, maybe these liberals are onto something. They really <laughs> this are. transgender business. No, when you start to live your life like I have, and you know, I'll now go on social media and I'll write all the time when I need to comment on something, like say P- Pete Buttigieg. I'll call myself a fluid gay man in order to self-identify as the preferred group with which I now have a legitimate uh, right to comment on anything related to Pete. Right. When I comment on Joe Biden or um, Bernie Sanders, I become an old white privileged male mm-hmm. with a colonial upbringing. Right. Right. When I talk about uh, Kamala Harris, I become a privileged woman of fluid color. Okay. So... Yes, she she proclaims herself to be black, or she wants the world to think that she's black. She's not black. She doesn't have a, she doesn't have an ounce of That's black blood. Point. <laughs> None of us have any of this. You know, to, to actually translate this to let's say the world of football, right? right? A professional. So you're you're on one team. You throw the ball and you you run to the other side and you quickly take off your jersey, put on the other team's jersey. I'm the other team now. It's all good. Right. Right. Or you know, switch off back and forth throughout whenever you feel like it. It's it's very busy. And let's let, right. let me make this very clear. Men are on one team and women are on the other team. And that's the way it is. And frankly, that's the way we like it. It's it's not a bad thing. Oh, God, I thought they were the crazy. cheerleaders. I like that. I like that a yeah, lot. That's that's the same team. And it's they just like being the cheerleaders too. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, so 
Uh, slightly back to the abortion thing. So the, the issue has become, what if we were to undermine Roe v. Wade uh, to the point uh, in either direction? Let's say uh, the Supreme Court says, you know, I, I don't think it would happen, but a situation where the Supreme Court would say, you know what, not only do we affirm Roe v. Wade, but we also extend it such that you cannot uh, prohibit an abortion up to six months of pregnancy. But after six months, no, no way, Jose, right? In other words, you know, more abortion rights. Uh, that, of course, would lead to a very significant, almost civil war uh, within the nation because it's so, such a polarizing issue. Uh, conversely, and more realistically, but nevertheless conversely, if the Supreme Court, with a now more of a conservative makeup, would say, look, you know, we were wrong about Roe v. Wade. Uh, abortion is acceptable up to eight weeks, only eight weeks, you know, basically the heartbeat. Um, and then, you know, after that, you know, you're, you're on your own. And states can, can punish you for having an abortion or the doctor who performs the abortion anytime after eight weeks. And to the extent the state doesn't want to punish it, well, that's fine. But if the state wants to punish you, there's no constitutional prohibition about that. That would also lead to a polarizing civil war of sorts. I don't know if people would go in the street and start maiming each other, but nevertheless, I think it would be very, very disruptive. So the question is, uh, for the time being, but I do want to move on to the Mueller, uh, the recent discussion from Mueller uh, on the uh, Russia so-called investigation, uh, whether or not we should just leave, leave Roe v. Wade alone as it is. Uh, in order, for the sake of keeping, keeping the status quo, you know that there is some sort of limitation on abortion, and at the same time, um, you know, allowing abortion to some extent. What would that be? In, in other words, Roe v. Wade as despicable a, a law and as uh, inappropriately, as inappropriate a procedure it was to use the Supreme Court to legislate from the bench. Um, it is the law of the land, so to speak, and therefore, let's keep it in place. It's, it's something like a, a load-bearing wall that if you take it down, well, then the whole building will collapse. It's not a good building. It's not very well designed, but by golly, that's the building we live in. That's the attitude. What do you think about that? I agree with you, but I look at it in the other direction. I think it's a load-bearing wall that holds the decline of Western civilization processes in place from collapse. Okay, no, I understand. But, well, that's not really where I'm going. So my point is, I agree with you, it creates a status quo, but a status quo of cultural decline over the long term. And I don't see it as creating a status quo of peace and prosperity that one can be lived with. It creates a status quo of constant chaos. Every two years, it allows one of the political parties of the country, and it, using this term somewhat facetiously, but honestly, it's a fluid, there's a fluidity about it, because either political party can have either okay. agenda, so, but it creates a situation of instability, because every two years there's an election for either Congress or President, or both, and it allows one of the parties to scare the living hell out of half the population at any time 
with this, okay. and it causes people not to think clearly okay. about it. I, I, I wanted to stop you before, and I wish I had, but nevertheless, here, yeah, <laughs> because your main point, I think, was where I was going also, and then you kind of, uh, you kind of read my mind, so to speak, that it is a building. It's a decrepit building. It's a building that we unfortunately have to deal with. It's not a good building, um, and one which, you know, it, it's not... We don't want it dis destroyed because, you know, it would create such a mishmash around the whole neighborhood, and it's full of asbestos, let's put it this way, right? right? It's all sorts of, you know, issues. We don't know what's in there. Better to leave it as it is. So, yeah, you know, it leaks asbestos, so to speak. It has some rats that it uh, pushes out into the neighborhood. Yeah, sure, but, boy, if we destroyed this whole thing, it, it would be all the worse, and we would have to deal with much more uh, of an issue, at least for the time being. I, you know, my, my thinking is that we do need to destroy Roe Roe v. Roe v. Wade, uh, and just go back to the drawing board and say, look, Congress, do what you want. You know, at least we, we can live with. It. Even if we don't like what Congress says, we can live with it. You know, at least it, it was a procedurally appropriate uh, mechanism to legislate from. Guess what? The legislature. That's where it's yeah, supposed to happen. People have recourse every two years. Every two years, you can say, right, we didn't like that law, and, and change it. You don't like it? Fine. That's the way it is. It's, it's simply a law. A criminal uh, aspect or a civil aspect, I don't care. The point is we have plenty of laws. Uh, RICO, the RICO statute, for example, that's not, a, um, that's not a Supreme Court issue. That is legislated from the Congress. They enacted that law. Likewise with the bankruptcy code, likewise with the copyright laws and the patent laws and many other things. Yeah, or drug laws yeah, or, or whatever. Or, or aviation, they, you yeah. name it. They so, can start them, they can stop them based yeah. on who's elected to Congress and who's willing as the executive to sign off on the, the right. bills that are passed. So you have in the abortion debate, um, they, they took it up to the Supreme Court. Why? Because nobody wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole uh, from a political point of view back in 1973. So the Supreme Court, you know, apparently gladly, willingly took it up. And uh, they concocted this, this what we call Lochnerizing in, uh, in law school. What do we call that? Lochnerizing. Uh, that's after a famous decision called Lochner v. New York, where the Supreme Court in that decision, I think it was in the 20s, uh, decided to legislate what hours the bakers should be able to work and, you know, basically laid out this whole very elaborate scheme by which, you know, the, the way things should be done. Well, thank you, Joseph Stalin's on the bench. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was absurd. You will charge this. You will make this many rules. But it's as if the whole Supreme Court had this some wild brain, you know what, uh, you know, and, and just <laughs> it, it completely out of left field. <laughs> I don't know if that was that funny, but it was... Well, as, as someone who's well-versed in, in how communism tries to command and control all aspects of yeah. an economy, it's that That's kind what it of was. folly. Anyway, so it, back then, it was an anomaly, and you know, people looked back and they scratched their heads and they said, what was the Supreme Court doing at the time? That was so, so absurd. And it became uh, a phrase, Lochnerizing. So coming out of the word, you know, the name of the case, Lochner versus New York. And uh, ever since then, the Supreme Court says, we, we don't want to Lochnerize. We don't want to Lochnerize. And then the Supreme Court comes out with Roe v. Wade, and many law professors, you know, correctly, I think, said, why isn't this Lochnerizing? And it was Lochnerizing. They, they, they concocted this whole legal scheme that had nothing to do with the simple question of whether or not an abortion restriction was constitutional. That's all. 
And the answer is binary, yes or no. Or you can even say sometimes, or we, we leave it to the states. That's fine. You can do that too. But So there uh, are four tangible options. Yes, no, leave to the states, bag up, bug out of the question. Right, exactly. But instead they chose the fifth option, the Lock worst possible option. Yes, it was. And they blew across their constitutional boundaries right. and did a job that doesn't belong to them. Right. So here's where I want to extend this discussion a little bit because it's a very important one. As I was reading all the Facebook arguments about the abortion issue, about whether we leave Roe v. Wade alone because, yes, it's so, it's so yucky, but, ah, you know, destroying it now would just lead to a civil war and it would, it would be so awful. But where else are we seeing this, right? I mean, it's not just in the abortion debate. We're seeing it in the immigration debate. For example, this this tension between, you know what, we don't want to suddenly change the immigration laws. Yes, it's intolerable in a sense. We we have too many people illegally crossing into the border, especially from Mexico. Uh, but you know, if we do anything drastic about it, it might lead to a civil war. Yeah, we've done this since 1964. We can't change now. But isn't it interesting? And you're probably going to plan to go here anyway. I probably am. But isn't it interesting how, when it comes to an actual constitutional amendment, the second one, they're more than happy to talk about breaching that one. Oh, I see. No, I wasn't going to the go there. You're, you're... And that's a constitutional amendment on the Bill of Rights, not some cockamamie law cobbled together by some judges. Well, I'll, st- I'll take you one step further. Here's where I was going to go. I agree with you about that. But think about it from the standpoint of liberal issues. And, of course, gun control is a liberal issue. Um, they would like to advance any liberal idea, for example, gay marriage, when the gay marriage uh, case came out in 2015, uh, the Oben, I'll never pronounce it correctly, Obergefell? Obergefell. Obergefell? Obergefell. Okay, I think there's a G in there somewhere, yeah, but, oh, but you don't pronounce Ober- it? There was a baseball player named Ken Obergefell many years ago. Okay. And this is that same name with a G instead of a K, Obergefell. Okay. Obergefell. Okay, so Obergefell case came out in 2015. And you know what the primary reasoning of the court was in allowing same-sex marriage and requiring its recognition from one state to the other, because that's the, that's the essence of the case. Um, do you know what it was? Uh, I think I know, but you, you're the lawyer. No, it's actually, it's, it's, it's really quite breathtaking what the reasoning was. It had nothing to do with the Constitution. Was it I, just they didn't want uh, couples inconvenience when they cross state lines no, with marriage from one state to the other? Even simpler than that. I, I mean, I'll give credit to the Supreme Court for just being as bald-faced about it as they possibly could have been. <laughs> Here it is. <clears throat> Times have changed. Oh, yeah, from last week's right. podcast, yeah. Right. The times, times have changed. changed, yeah. Yeah, so times have changed, and therefore, you know, we are going to recognize this. Oh, okay? uh, with the same reasoning, yeah. I'll, I'll go there. But uh, Times have changed. You know, we don't need this First Amendment. You're just offending people now. Well, yeah, times have changed with the gun control laws. Yeah. Uh, times have changed with uh, transgenderism. Uh, tr- times have changed, how about it with abortion? I mean, why can't we argue, and this is my point on my Sunday show, why could we argue that Roe v. Wade, you know, times have changed? Yeah, that was the point of our last yeah. podcast. Okay, so also in our podcast we talked about thesis, it. Thesis, yes. Right, so it's the same sort of thing. But it's, it would be an easy argument, but only times have changed is a legitimate argument only when it comes to liberal issues. 
So long as you're you're moving forward with a liberal issue, then it's good. Right. But, if you but, say times have changed, we found out gun control doesn't work. Can we reaffirm the Second Amendment? Oh no, you can't do that. Right. Exactly. Right. right. So times have changed. Roe v. Wade was, which is a very liberal decision. No, that, that's sacrosanct. Right. You know, you will never change that. That is, we have to we have to respect stare decisis, which is the precedent, uh, the Latin word for precedent. Uh, fantastic reasoning. I mean, it's really, it's, it's good for me, but not good for you, you know, reasoning. So, okay, so where else, going back to our main discussion, which is where else can we look at, let's say, immigration, uh, you know, extending beyond the abortion debate, where else can we say we're, we're afraid of the civil war that might result? So immigration is, well, you know, from Mexico. And then, of course, there's the, um, the Muslim situation, the the extreme Islamism that, that comes in. And we are so afraid of actually confronting it because we're afraid of what, what would effectively be a civil war in response to this. If we suddenly said, listen, the, this is bad stuff. These guys, um, these extreme Muslims, want to take over our country. And they say so in their Quran. I'm talking about the devout believers, by right. the way. Right, and they okay, and they're so. practice it in places like Dearborn, Michigan, and Minnesota, St. Paul. You know, like the the Somali community where Ilan Omar is from. Right. There's there's a story. Oh wait, wait. Left. Just no. Just focus on. I don't want. I don't want to hear the story. I just want to hear about the basic point about it. And and the the basic point here is that you, we live day to day, saying, well, you know what? It's acceptable. Right. Uh, you know, Roe v. Wade is Roe v. Wade, but you know, well, well, we'll deal with it. At least there are some restrictions, and we, we'd like to. F- we fight on the margins a lot, right? Okay? But isn't that interesting? How they're willing to essentially. And I'm not going to bring up the story you told me not to bring up, but the essential story is certain communities in Minnesota where Omar represents have been turned into Somali third world zones, Yeah. i.e. we've essentially surrendered in a civil war those zones. Right. So you're saying they're willing to surrender a civil war, i.e. lose a civil war, rather than fight a civil war. Right. Yeah, they they don't... Nobody's going to stand up, uh, unfortunately. And look, you know, the... One of the things that Obama has has done, and more information is not coming out uh, than, we, than you would ever imagine, how anti-Israel the Obama administration was, including Samantha using Samantha Powers uh, through the United Nations. Thank God the United Nations has no actual power and is such an inept organization that it almost doesn't matter. But the fact is that they wanted to weaponize the United Nations through Samantha Powers, who hates Israel. Hated Israel and still hates Israel. Right, to the point of unmasking Israeli um, American donors to pro Jewish and pro Israeli causes right. for ostracization and perhaps prosecution by a less benevolent government. Right, and it's not, just, it's not just Samantha Powers. The immigration policy that we had was such that we allowed a tremendous number of Muslim immigrants into our country. Right, and put them specifically in middle America places where they would affect change in states that weren't the melting pots that L.A. and New York are. Right. Understand? Like flooding the zone in Minneapolis-St. Paul with the Somalis, flooding the zone in Boise, Idaho with Syrians. Right. Right? It's, it's really, it was breathtaking. And, you know, people, you know, they don't, they don't do anything about it. There's, there's, there's very little that they can do about it. And people are not willing to fight. 
Well, and, they're terrified, and they get no backup by their local authorities. Right, they're terrified because they don't want to, you know, be considered uh, Islamophobic. Yeah. You know, that's their phrase, not ours. Uh, they don't want to call be called anti-Muslim by any stretch, and they don't want to look like racists, like you said. So they don't fight, and they're worried about the big civil war that that would result in this. And it does take some effort. It takes an effort to say, you know, we believe in this country being a Judeo-Christian-backed uh, country. Um, they, they don't want to fight that. They don't even, you know, there are more people that no longer identify as either Jewish or Christian in this country than there are that do define themselves as Christian or Jewish. Yeah, Steve, uh, Steve King from Iowa, the congressman, was essentially destroyed for saying Western civilization is a good thing. Right. Good, good point. I mean, yes. if you're Mark Stein made the brilliant point while sitting in for Rush, it says the GOP establishment to single out us, one of these organizations that we rely on to fight these battles and to stand up has decided they're all these. They have basically the, the the philosophy that they're all these hills that we've decided not to die on. Right. Right. And Stein made the brilliant point. He said, well, Western civilization is a hill way back near your own fort. If you're not willing to stand and die on the Western civilization hill as a battle to fight there, there aren't a lot of hills left. Well, they don't even know that there was a hill. You know, that's, <laughs> good, that's good the point. point. Uh, and at this point, they're not even sure there's such a thing as Western civilization. Right. They, they don't know even. what that is. I mean, they live in Western civilization. They enjoy the benefits of Western civilization, but they don't realize that they're living in it. No, nothing, nothing, uh, you know, shouts at them that they're living in a, in a, in a distinct civilization. Right. So here, here comes, you know, people from uh, non-Western civilization yeah. places. Uh, and they're they're making demands, and they're slowly kind of chipping away. And and for, you know, for everybody at that particular moment, you know, you're not being threatened by I don't know, your your, your body's not being physically harmed right this moment. Um, you're not you're still allowed to speak your mind at this moment. Uh, you want to grab some lunch? You can do some do so anywhere you like. You there's still a lot of the freedoms that we enjoy, but it's slowly slowly being demonized. Whatever you you seek to do, um, and every, any pro, any protest against uh, the an infiltration of extremism uh, will bounce boomerang back on you. And if you're proud about being American or proud about Western civilization, again, likewise, it'll boomerang on you. So be very careful what you say. Yeah, and what you mean by that tangibly is you can lose your job, yeah. your income, your friends, your standing in the community. Essentially. The medieval punishment of exile is now being used over and over again against people who dared just say an opinion right. that 10 years ago was a normal opinion, right. but has been deemed now a dysfunctional opinion. And, and it's interesting, just to drill down a little bit on that, uh, when you present that as an issue to your liberal friends, and I'm talking about liberal friends, lefties. Yeah, the, conservative the, friends get this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, conservative friends, got liberal friends are interesting, and then there's lefties. Lefties, they believe in doing anything by hook or by crook. Yeah, so they, they think this is great. Yeah, they're, they're yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, censorship is totally fine so long as it achieves the, the right goal. Right. But you talk to some of your liberal friends who still vote Democrat, uh, Hillary Clinton and such, that they – you talk to them and they, they – you know, you say, don't you think it's wrong? W would you be against the law? And, and you see all this stuff with the so-called hate speech codes. And the shouting down of conservative speakers. Are you okay with that? Do you think that's right? 
And instead of saying, I absolutely protest what's going on here and uh, condemning it right and left. Condemning the censorship, the not the of course, of course. speaker. Yeah, uh, they can say, listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a conservative bone in my body. I don't like anything that these people are saying, but by golly, they, they're entitled to speak their mind. You know? and, and if we had a strong position, we shouldn't be uh, threatened by that. And yet, you know, this is not the American way, and First Amendment, and all that. It's, they, they, I think they think it. But they certainly don't stand up for it, right? If if we found, I don't know, if a if a demonstrably identifiable conservative group suddenly started saying horrible things about black people and I don't know, suggested uh, killing people that uh, you know who weren't didn't think just like us, let's say, uh, we would stand up, you and I, and say. These people don't speak for us. Yeah, These us. people are monsters. Yeah. They don't reflect conservatism. Whatever, uh, you know, we we don't like. We don't have a liberal bone in our body, but nevertheless, this ain't conservatism. And don't uh, don't you dare speak in my name. We would say that. Yeah, I think. Right? I but, th- but but yes, the liberals don't do that when it comes to Antifa um, and all, all the crazy stuff that Nancy Pelosi does and all the other shoutdowns that are otherwise happening. Yeah. Well, part of it is lack of information. They don't receive those narratives from the media, which is constantly sanitizing the Democrat party and Antifa and not telling them about the censorship. If, and I think there's a better example you can give that's a little less acute and I'll do it. Imagine if there was an actual conservative out there not a right-wing slash left-wing wrongest extremist, but just a a uh, a religion, a Christian uh, conservative group that said, the time has come, we need to finally ban pornography, Playboy magazine, and rock and roll music. Good example, okay. I would be the first one to tell them to F the hell off. The first one. Because it's censorship to me is censorship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter your intent, Okay. Freedom of speech, freedom of uh, tolerating the stuff you don't like. Uh, the attitude is, if you don't want to look at pornography, don't look at pornography. Right. Okay? If you don't want your children looking at it, keep them the hell off the internet. Okay? Yeah. That, that, that's the world we live in. But don't tell me what I uh, – don't treat me like a child and tell me I can't listen to ACDC or Ozzy Osbourne and look at Playboy magazine. For sure. Or more specifically, you'll laugh at this, read my Playboy magazine article and interview with Donald J. Trump. <laughs> right? Yes. Don't yes. you dare do that. Right. And I have to say, in the age of Trump, this is the most fantastic thing that's ever happened to Christianity and conservatism in America, is the election of Donald J. Trump has fully and, I believe, permanently inoculated the conservative movement from ever doing that again. Right. Which is hallelujah. Right. Liberals should be celebrating that. Right. That's an enormous move, not to the center, but to a really good place of plurality and tolerance of all sorts of tastes and opinions while sticking to the core principles of conservatism, freedom, plurality, civilization, etc. Right. But but you're right. Liberals don't do it, and I believe half of it is because of fear. Half of it is because liberalism is a dysfunction, even the non-leftist versions at this point. And more importantly, it shows you the power of mass media mm-hmm. in that we on our side who look at the alternative media, read the conservative sites, are just flooded with so much more clear information about the issues. And when – like I was walking down the street today and I walked past – when I got our coffees this morning, there's a Starbucks. I didn't don't, – I don't get our coffees at Starbucks. Thank you. No offense to Starbucks, but I go to a different well, place. It's, you can offend but Starbucks. But there was a guy sitting at Starbucks, i.e. the homeless shelter in Santa Monica – 
And he was re- looked like a really nice, well-dressed, well-put-together dude. And he was reading a newspaper. He was reading the USA Today, a newspaper of pure vapidity, of pure, absolute, wafer-thin hold, hold on for a information. Hold on for a second. The word of the day is vapidity. 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 Suggesting emptiness. <laughs> right. Go on. I, I mean, aren't I a brilliant wordsmith? And the reason I speak like this is because I didn't go to college, okay? <laughs> I, and not at all. Spent my time listening to talk radio and, you know, yeah. sharpening my chops. <laughs> uh, but I'm looking at this guy going, okay, from the outside, well put together, clearly successful, clearly an upper middle class, if not rich dude. But his, his inputs into the brain informationally is pure garbage. All right, uh, where, where are you going with this, Ari? Because I, I do think that I'm speaking for a lot of our listeners right now. <laughs> so wrap it up. Well, the point you're making about your amazement that liberals don't take the action we would predictively assume they would take in defense of alternative opinions to their own, I think is influenced by two things. Number one, liberalism is pretty much a, um, a flimsy anti-masculine ideology to begin with where right. people don't really have the spine to stand up. And second of all, it, it's a more judgment about the media world we live in where people are just receiving garbage information and then making garbage decisions so that reflects the garbage information inputs they're getting. All right. So I didn't think that was going anywhere and I think I just validated that. Uh, but okay. That's fine. I appreciate your thoughts. Now, going back to where we were, the, uh, the, the notion of avoiding the civil war. And that's why we call this t- this podcast Avoiding the Civil War. Are you going to remember that one? No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, let me write no, that down. No, I, I, <laughs> Avoiding the Civil <laughs> Avoiding War. Avoiding the Civil War. All right, but here's another example of, of where we're always trying to avoid the Civil War. Israel, right? We have a, a tremendous amount of anti-Israelism going on in campuses and otherwise. And that's, of course, a very bad thing. Israel is a fantastic nation. Uh, we need to support her. Uh, she stands for Western civilizations, uh, civilization, and we, uh, you know, it, it's it's representative of all the things that we believe in, right? I mean, we stand for decency, we stand for justice, we stand for democracy, we stand for um, you know the protection of women, the the protection of minorities and minority and interests. Not so in the Arab world, and yet they're trying to destroy Israel. It is much easier to go along with the flow of the anti-Israel crowd. Why? Because there's so many more of them than there are the pro-Israel crowd, at least on campuses. And so it's tempting uh, to simply to, to shout out, let's support the boycott of Israel. Uh, let's demonize Israel one way or the other, and you'll get a lot of cheering from the crowd. If you, on the other hand, stand up for what's right, which is Israel is a great nation, we need to support her. She defends us. We defend her. Uh, you'll get a lot of booing from the crowd. Um, so they, they want to, you know, as we descend more and more in this country into anti-Israelism and, and therefore anti-Semitism, you're seeing a lot fewer people speaking their minds uh, about this and how we need to fight. There are some great organizations that do, do uh, engage in the fight. Stand With Us, for example. That's I'm on the board with Stand With Us. I'm very proud of the work we do. Um, ZOA, right? Zionists uh, of America. Organization of America. Of organization. That's a great organization. There, there are many such great organizations. And, and I'm proud that they're fighting. Uh, but, you know, I think for a lot of people, they just would rather not engage in the civil war, as we t- we've been talking about. 
So avoiding the Civil War, it's it sounds good in the meantime, but it's it's a little bit like ignoring that uh, that uncle who is engaging in. Uh, alcoholism right and left and can't keep his life straight and maybe even fondling the little girls and his name is joe biden (laughs) let's not it's you know to be fair to joe biden okay let's let's not go too far with him i'm simply saying the the uncle who who does that and you know you want to you want to nip that in the bud but uh you know you want everyone it's it feels like they're better off pretending nothing's happening (laughs) isn't that what happened with the uh, war between the state civil war in the 1860s, though. Yes. I mean, wasn't it a situation that if they had that fight at any time between 1840 and 1859, it would have been a lot less severe, it would have been over much quicker, and you would not have killed 600,000 men in a country of what two or three million at the time? No, no doubt it would have been better uh, had they engaged in the battle much earlier. But that's a good example. I mean, that is the civil war. Oh, the capital wait, wait, wait. C. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, that is the, with the capital C and a capital W, right? The, right? the Civil War. What what they called the war between the states at the time. But during the Civil War, this notion of fighting it was, you know, anathema. They didn't want to do that. They, they, who who wants to go to war? Yeah, sort of thing. Brother against brother, shooting fellow Americans. It's very uh, look, I agree. It's from, not from the, what I'd want to do. From the standpoint of talking to the president, you would say, you know, Mr. President, you know, do we really want this? Maybe we ought to you know, let them go their way and, and we can negotiate for peace at some point. In fact, maybe we even let them have their slaves and not fight this whole issue. And, you know, what, what skin is it off of our back? You know, we want to keep this union together one way or the other. And it's been this way for a long time. The status quo has been this way. It's the way we do things. Right. Times but they, have changed. But, but they fought the Civil War right. because they knew it wasn't right. And 600,000 men died, uh, approximately 300,000 on each side. Uh, in the process, it's a it was a huge percentage of the of the of the population, by the way, yeah, at the time. Especially men of that demographic, that you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but likewise with uh, World War II, right? Same so thing. it's and it's even it was even more the same thing, more more of emblematic of what we're right. trying to if they say. They confronted Hitler at any time and just had it out with him. There were so many exit yeah. ramps to defeat Hitler. And we took none of them. We waited until we were literally the guns were pointed right at our heads. Uh, to the and, and in fact, we didn't even wait till then. We waited until they bombed us. The Japanese bombed us, and we had to declare war on them. That's when Germany declared war on us. We didn't even declare war on Germany. I don't know. A lot yeah. of people don't know this. Two days later, after um, Pearl Harbor, that's when Hitler declared war on America. And of course, we were engaged. We were engaged now in the fight. But from a world point of view, of course it was way too late. You mean late. it wasn't American aggression against those nice indigenous Germans and nice indigenous Japanese? Well, the point oh, of, my land. The, the, the point of this is that I don't even know uh, back in, in the 1930s and 40s whether or not we would have ever taken the initiative but for the fact that Hitler declared war on us. Right. Uh, vis-a-vis Japan, yes, because they bombed us. We, you know, yeah. so it was Jap- easy enough. But if Japan did not bomb us and Hitler just declared us war, I'm sure the reaction of FDR was the same as Obama and Carter vis-a-vis Iran. Right. Oh, oh they're just guys. over there. Yeah. yeah. You right? silly people. You know, they're just uh, saber rattling. That's yeah. it, you know. That anyway, the point is we we engaged and and the whole world I'm now speaking from a world perspective they waited and waited and waited until things were so horrific <laughs> that uh, and and literally changed the world um in some cases for the better uh, and obviously in many ways horrifically for the worse 
it, 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 it gave rise to the Soviet Union and communism throughout. It emboldened them. Uh, it uh, destroyed the British Empire. Absolutely, just, just it, no more British Empire. That was it in the span of only a couple of years. The British Four Empire, years, the British Empire is gone. Was, yes. was completely obliterated, except for New Zealand, uh, no, sorry, for uh, the Falkland Highlands, uh, India, and uh, what was then the British Palestine uh, Mandate. And even those, that they ended up having to, to leave. So that, and then of course the rise, the good part of it was that uh, America rose and became very strong. And, and then there was the, the creation of Israel as well. But boy, I mean, it was just horrific, the world sea change that resulted from World War II. Much of it really horrific, including, of course, obviously the Holocaust and the approximately 200 million other people that were slaughtered in the process to say none, nothing of the rapes and the tortures and the enslavement that went on uh, throughout the entire world as a result of World War II. So, you know, look, either you fight the war or the war comes to you. Yeah. As I say very often, make a decision or a decision will be made for you. Okay, it's one of the, one of the two. Uh, come to a decision. Yeah, no, I say specifically. Come to a decision or a decision will come to you. Okay. Uh, that, that is the way we need to understand what's happening in the abortion debate, the immigration deba debate, the way we uh, preserve Western civilization vis-a-vis -vis the Muslim uh, the extreme Muslim, uh, you know, interests against America and Israel, for that matter. The way we deal with uh, transgenderism and, and, and the sexes. Yeah, all of these are wars being fought against yeah. us right now. Right. And it's, it's amazing to me that we don't fight back. As a collective, there's a there's a post that goes around Instagram. I'm sure you've seen it before. And it's a picture of like George Washington with Jefferson and Adams and Hamilton. It says something along the lines of there's different forms of it, but it makes the same point. It says, what's wrong with you people? Me and my homies would be stacking bodies by now. Right. Mark Stein, another great Mark Stein quote was, if the founders of the country saw what we became today, they would have never done the revolution. They would have gone, what's it all for? Yeah, if you're not willing we, to we, fight for this, rev for, for this revolution that we're fighting for, then what's the point? I mean, it's, it's right. you know, you're, you're squandering the victory that we, we obtained for you. But now, you know, look, that's a spread of uh, 200 plus, 250 years more or less. Uh, that we're, we're dealing with. And so you can say, well, that's a long stretch of period of time. It's will, you're, you're, you're willing to die for a country that you know, will still embrace the American experiment for 200 years. Awesome. But when, when it happens in such a short time frame, like what happened with the Iraq, the Iraq war, you know, we go in there, uh, you can question whether or not we should have gone there in the first place. I think we should. I, I actually celebrated the going into Iraq. I thought Bush did the right thing. Um, so long as he continued it and so long as the country, you know, supported it. But in, along comes Obama and says, oh, we should never have been there in the first place. And then pulls out every single man out of Iraq and then surprise, surprise, ISIS. And then history, they, they want history to look back on the Iraq war as a, as a miserable fail, failure, you see. Never mind that we, in fact, democratized Iraq. Never mind that we got rid of Saddam Hussein. But anyway, Iraq is no longer a serious threat in the way it used to be. But... But we're squandering things. We, we, you know, from a soldier's point of view, he goes into a war and, you know, let's say Trump initiates a war for whatever reason against Iran or North Korea. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, okay. Please. Okay. Yes. Let, let's not derail it. Sorry, I was having a moment. I know. I know. I, I, that's his little fantasy here. Come back, Ari. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So, 
you go into war and you, you ask your men, you know, this is the time of war and I've been called for duty and, you know, this is why I went to West Point, this is why I went to the Naval Academy, this is why I went to the Air Force. Uh, you know, the reserves are now called up and it's a very important moment. We're fighting for America. And so they go for it. And, and, but in their mind's eye, they know that there is a very strong possibility that the next president if it were to be a Democrat, God forbid. Oh, God, you're ruining my fantasy. <laughs> oh, God. If I'm a Democrat fascist. president, even if, even if Trump were to be reelected, and uh, we're talking about a Democrat president in 2024, uh, which is, you know, certainly possible, then they would say, well, you know, this new Democrat president, why should I fight so hard? Because yeah. I, I'm going to be dying in vain or fighting, you know, even if I survive this, I'll, I'll be fighting for naught. Yeah, it was Trump's war. Blood for whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. For, for his ego, let's say. Yeah. And that, that's a dangerous position to be in. So why is this? And this is the way I want. I really want to wrap this up this way. Why is it happening? Why are, are we seeing what we are seeing? Because the Civil War, the American Civil War, you can say it was delayed. It was inevitable. But it was going to happen. And they did fight it. Uh, but when they realized that push came to shove and they had to fight this war, I think the amount of men that were going to die was was going to be about the, about that number. I wouldn't be I wasn't surprised from a historical point of view that this happened. They fought it with the gusto and the um, the conviction to do what was right, getting rid of slavery. Uh, likewise, they fought with conviction and gusto against Hitler once they realized what fascism was really all about. Yeah, now they're going to have to fight with eventually with conviction and gusto against abortion, the transgender ideology, and the cultural rot. It's inevitable right. at some point. Right. So, what what helps us fight? What is necessary? Not sufficient, but what is necessary in order for us to actually defeat the enemy and maintain Western civilization? And the answer is very simple. If you do not have a centralized view of God in your society, you cannot possibly uh, do anything but stand still, be passive, and let this, the, the war uh, slowly fog in, uh, like a fog, as it were, and take over your entire civilization. That's, what, that's what's, what it's going to be like. You have to understand that those little cracks in the dam, they're coming, and that, that signifies something. Right, and it may be a slow, uh, you know, what do you, what do you call it, a burst of the dam, but slow it's coming. Crumble, slow crumble. A slow crumble, yeah. uh, but it's coming. You, you cannot expect these little cracks to, to heal themselves. You have to go there, patch up the cracks, and uh, and and win that way. And yeah. that 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 requires effort. It requires money. It requires conviction, and that's what we don't have. That's what I fear. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you next week.